iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking Champions League and there's some serious highs to debate. Not just for the British teams, of course, but for a certain athletic Norwegian striker too. That's right, Erling Haaland was at it again. Another stunning goal to beat his former team, whilst Liverpool snatched a late winner at Anfield too. But it's not all euphoria and comebacks as Graham Potter started his Chelsea career with a draw and Tottenham were beaten late by Sporting Lisbon. We'll also be talking Rangers and Celtic and the views from Europe with Ian Hawkey, as well as a little mention for the Football League. And we've got news of a special guest from the world of cricket. All that to come, this is The Game. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Tom Clark, standing in today for Hugh Woodencroft, who is away for the day at a wedding. Thankfully, though... I'm joined by the perfect happy couple, Gregor Robertson and Ian Hawkey, to discuss the latest action from the Champions League. Now, when you get the caretaker role, it's sometimes worth trying to do something a bit different. Try a left field tactic, maybe. But let's be honest, you can't get away from him. So I'm going for the obvious. Erling Haaland. Another stunning goal, another winner for Manchester City as they came from behind to beat Dortmund 2-1. Now, Ian, I'm coming to you first with a challenge. It's your first show of the season. Can you think of something new to say about Erling Haaland? Over to you. Well, we could we could avert our gaze slightly from the wonderful finish and praise the wonderful cross, but that wouldn't really answer your question, would it? That's cheating. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think uh, Pep Guardiola got in before me by by likening the goal to a very famous Johan Cruyff goal from the 1970s, uh, which was similarly athletic. So no, it's uh, well, it, it's it's um, it is it is hard to think of new superlatives for Holland. But I guess what he's done is um, he has scored a different type of goal to the to the many the, to the dozen. I think that he's he's already scored for uh, for City and uh, reminded us that really there's there's very little in his portfolio that's not not possible. Um, I mean that was that was a variety of skills, wasn't it? High jumping, hurdling. And, and magnificent timing. Gregor, you've been uh, tasked once again. I was down on the editing floor before coming up here. Let's get Gregor. Poor old Gregor, just because he played a few games in defence at some Ill- point one. in football. <laughs> Gregor is being asked for about the fourth time, how do you defend Erling Haaland? But, but there is a genuine point, and Ian made it with reference to that amazing cross by Cancelo. In, in defending that goal, is, is part of the beauty of it, the cross, in Absolutely. that it's outside of the foot. As a defensive line, you're probably looking at it and going, "Well, he, you know, he's right-footed. He's not going to cross now." Yeah, but it's also the across the back post like that is actually one of the hardest things to to defend. It's but usually it's because a winger is coming in from wide and you know at the back, you know, almost to the byline, and that sometimes it's just impossible to reach for a defender. So you've, you really got to focus on cutting out the cutback, if you know what I mean, or trying to get a block in the finish. But Haaland is so big. And his levers are so long and he's so kind of strangely, awkwardly athletic that you didn't need a winger coming at the back post. He just threw his, the outside of his left foot at it and, and it was a goal. So really from a defensive point of view, that that moment was, I'd say, almost impossible to defend against. The, but the thing, if we're trying to say it's anything new about Haaland, from watching him in, increasingly, I think his biggest strength is actually his patience. Like... 
because he did nothing. He did mm. nothing for the majority of games. You know, I said that earlier after watching his first game. Like it's striking how little he does and how mm. little he has to do. And to be to maintain a kind of ability to be able to explode or to just make the right movement at the right time. Uh, as I say, that patience and look, he's still doing things. He's, he's his sheer presence, his mere presence on the pitch is drawing defenders towards him. It's creating space for others, and it's probably imbuing a, a ripple of anxiety through the team, <laughs> through the usual opposition. But he, it is still striking how little he does. He touched the ball twenty six times last night, and that's that's quite high in in uh, comparison to some of his Premier yeah. League games. And there was that famous one when I think he was eight. Yeah, and. And I think he got an assist in that game. So that is the most striking thing for me. The patience he has and his ability to just switch it on at the moment and make the deciding, the telling action in the game. But it's working, isn't it? And that's what the the brave people during the summer who dared to suggest that it might not click this quickly for Haaland and City said that, oh, wait, it's a change, change in system. They'll have to change the way they play. Ian, that was something we debated quite a lot on the preview shows and things. Have you? How have you been impressed with the way City have adapted to Haaland's arrival? Very, because because I think that it has it has meant them curtailing some of their instincts. And also, I think possibly he has to had to curtail some of his instincts as well. I think I think there's a temptation now to to decide that because he's such a brilliant centre forward and there's a vacancy for an orthodox centre forward in a, in a very well developed uh, City team that um, that that sort of imposes a ceiling on him. I mean, Erling Haaland, uh, you know, he's got good feet, hmm. um, as 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 I think we've probably all noticed. Um, uh, so the, uh, the his combination play, I think, is something that we are going to see more of. Um, I mean, you're right that you know the, the touches of the ball are quite striking, and and as Gregor says, um, his patience and willingness to make sure he takes up the right positions rather than than feeling you know lonely and and diverting from the positions that that Guardiola wants him in at the moment um is you know is a sign of his professionalism and, and discipline but I, I i do think we're going to see some some nice interactive moments from Erling Haaland over the season i think he is he's not going to look look so distinct from the rest of the team that you know he looks like a a slightly sort of oddball specialist he just keeps getting better and better now i'm going to throw a curveball out here guys i might i might have started with Erling Haaland but john stones for me better goal anyone Gregor, you're a defender. Step up, one nil down, outside of the foot. If I'd scored, top corner. If I'd scored, I would say it was a better goal. But no, I mean, because like, you've got to look at the goalkeeper, surely, don't you? Yeah, true. I think so. Maybe slightly. Yeah, and also the, as as Ian uh, pointed out, the cross was just a thing of beauty. Um, I think the commentator was saying there's no one be- better in world football at using the outside of the right foot, and the only person that's sprung to mind for me was Modric. Mm. But he is remarkable at it. You know, he's kind of edging the ball forward and you see him edging the ball forward knowing that whatever happens next, he's going to use his right foot even though it's, you know, a position to to cross with your left because he's so good at it. And it was a delicious cross. So, you know, that combined with the the athleticism and the sort of, just sort of jarring, I don't know, impact Mm. of that moment... uh, I'd say that probably top stone. Sorry, outrageous. I thought I honestly thought you'd back me up on that. I thought <laughs> got a defender in the studio with me. I'm going to get some support for this, but no. But Stones did start the comeback, and it was another comeback for City, wasn't it? I mean, we're going to talk about Liverpool and their late goal um, in their game, 
and the slightly different narrative, there's my, there's my word again, I've gone in early, slightly different narrative around the two seasons because City have had a lot of comebacks this season, haven't they already? Ian, why do you think it is that we're kind of able to see City's comebacks as so overwhelmingly positive? I think it's it's the overall impression of control, isn't it? That, hmm. that um, you know, City are are very good at giving the impression that that they are controlling matches. Um, uh, you know, that's 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 what they are. Whereas uh, with Liverpool, you know, we see the obvious symptoms of... Uh, they're not, you know, going through their very, very established drills effectively. Uh, whereas with City, it's that happens much less and, and, you know, tends to happen the later stages of the Champions League and not really until then. So I, I think I think it's an impressionistic thing. Um uh, and 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 you know it it in that is is city's um self assurance and some of that is expressed in 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 their patience you know, their confidence that if they are in control of matches they will overcome a setback and also that the opposition will be will have become exhausted by by chasing them around by by the later stages of games and uh it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty sure technique certainly um, in the Premier League and in and in the early stages in their European runs, Guardiola was right though. He, they were poor in the first half mm. and even start second. And it's just about I think he used the word rhythm, didn't he? Changing the rhythm, a bit more speed and sort of intent um, in their play. And then they do, you know, they do. You do feel like they've got another gear to slip into. Yeah. But the other thing that is, I don't know, City have played have played better than they than they than they are now than they have this season. Certainly in the Champions League, it's you know these games where there's such fine margins, they're won by moments a lot of the time. Look at see Real Madrid for details, um, and now they, they, it does just kind of strike you that they have someone who can produce a a moment from nothing that um, or what looks like a kind of I don't know. It was a delicious cross, but it's still it's just a it's you couldn't think of many other strikers being able to do what he did there. So. I don't know, it just it does make you wonder whether they've got a better chance of going all the way this year. And what do you make, Gregor, of that, the defence for City? Because there was talk during the summer of changes. Ake was linked with a move away. They obviously brought Akanji in towards the end of the window. Stone's playing at right back. Obviously, you've got Cancelo, this incredible player, essentially sort of playing out of position, if you can say that. Although I get the impression he could basically play every position on the pitch sometimes. How, how do you think this kind of almost unsettled and yet settled nature of their defensive system seems to be working I mean I think the, that does look like a bit of a patch together defence I yeah. like Akanji you know, but I don't think he's probably in their first choice back four or even three so um, Stones, Stones did really well at right back but uh, this is not I think as Cancelo aside this is not their their first choice uh, back line they have enough bodies, they have enough kind of options there. And I think that's why you saw them, you know, rebuff uh, offers for, for Aki, unless they were going to, well, they did bring in a kanji, but I still think with all the sort of the different uh, competitions they're fighting on, this is why they need all these players. And, um, you know, they will be tested, they'll be tested uh, much, much more sternly in in, uh, in games to come. And I think probably we'll, we're more likely to see the players like Diaz uh, come back in then. Now, Erling Haaland obviously steals the headlines with the winner, but had it been different, had Dortmund got the win, we would all have been talking about Jude Bellingham again. There's an England squad being announced later this afternoon, which I'm sure we'll talk about in uh, shows to come. But just on Bellingham, I mean, he's almost, he's got, he's going to be in the squad, surely, surely. It'd be a huge story if he isn't. But my question for both of you is, does, is he now 
got to be considered in these coming games for Gareth Southgate to be starting for England? Ian, start with you. Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, I, th- I think Jude Bellingham is probably the most coveted English footballer in the world now. If you you know, if you think mm. of Harry Kane's age, um, uh, would, would would that be a, a realistic claim? Yeah, that'd be an interesting good, claim, good perhaps claim, not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's very hard to it's very it, it, yeah it, it it's very hard not to imagine that he's going to have a really important role for England. Um, you know, this this calendar year. Um, it's um, you know, it's the, his position, which is which is you know he covers he covers big territory. He's 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 a very good all round midfielder, as we know, with a tremendous engine. Um, uh, it, it, you know, England are, are reasonably well staffed there, but but yeah, I, it would be. I think it's very unlikely that that he's not going to go to the World Cup if he's fit, uh, with the idea that he's going to have a, a leading role. Yeah, the question is whether he starts. It's, mm. you know, Calvin Phillips, kind of. Slow start to life at City yep. could be an issue. Another issue which I really don't think we should get into here is, <laughs> is, the, is the way that Gareth Southgate is going to play. I mean, he, you know, the kind of dynamics of that midfield, um, whether it's a two or a three or whatever, let's not talk about that now. There's no hue, don't worry, it's not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. You've got you've got Gareth Southgate's number one fan in the chair, Gregor, don't but, worry. But we know that Southgate likes kind of discipline in there and it's and he is more of an all-action, box-to-box midfielder. Um but absolutely, I'll be well in his thoughts about potentially starting. Yeah, well, we'll see what Gareth Southgate comes up with, not only with his squad, but with his uh, tactical innovations in the coming games. But one uh, manager with some tactical innovations of his own was Graham Potter, of course, in his first game as Chelsea manager. Now, in modern football, you don't want to read too much into a team sheet, do you? But Raheem Sterling out wide on the left. That's a pretty bold move, isn't it, Gregor, for your first game? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. There's a kind of trend, I don't know, I was thinking about this earlier on, there's a bit of a trend towards this. You look at Antonio Conte trying to, you know, move wingers, people who are traditionally being wingers, into into wing-backs. And mm. a, a lot of it is because I think when you when you, when you you kind of stock the midfield with the, the, the kind of midfielders that um, Conte certainly has and also also Brighton has, a lot of it's about a kind of almost a box mm. Two defenders, or, or if there's a back three, and then and then two holding midfielders in front of them. So really, that really gives the license to the wide players to to go and attack. In that sense, it makes sense for them to be much more uh, attacking. So yeah, look, look, seeing Sterling playing wing back is was a bit jarring, but um, I think this is a part of a bit of a wider trend personally. Um, and he did it at Brighton. You know, he's he, someone like Solly March often played. Played wide there, and I think he's more. You could certainly see he's more of a winger, um, and he did the same with Trossard mm. in recent times. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine it's going to be a long-term uh, strategy. But if he is playing with wing backs and wants to go with two up top, or you know, again, it's about the dynamics around that. It's yeah. hard to see where Sterling actually fits in then. Yeah, but it but it is interesting. You say, and that's why I kind of prefaced it with the slight element of caution. In modern football, we don't just interpret from the lineup on the pitch, do Absolutely, you? Absolutely, particularly with Potter. Absolutely. So, and I was discussing this this morning. And when you look into some of the statistics, like average position maps and things, you see that actually what the system allowed for was Sterling to still be the most advanced forward on the pitch. In when you looked at Chelsea's average positions, he was the most. He was the highest up the pitch, higher up than Aubameyang or Mason Mount. And but similarly with Reese James. Their, but their touches were very much hugging the touchline. So they were. Maybe it is the idea that you don't want Raheem Sterling in a crowded area. You want him 
to find him in space, which is exactly what he got for the goal, wasn't it? Coming in on the end of a cross from out wide allowed him to score a goal. I mean, but, the, but that wasn't just the only tweak, was it? I mean, there was one recognised centre-half on there with Aspilicueta and Cucurella either side of a back three. I mean, it was a pretty bold, bold statement, I think, Ian, for a manager who, as he said himself, was his first Champions League game, not only managing, but actually being at one. What did you make of it? Yes, yeah, it was bold, and, and I suppose if you're going to if you're going to look at it from a business point of view, it was also quite bold to to leave two new centre halves um, out of that 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 initial plan. Um, neither of them, neither of them cheap. Um, so yeah, you admire him for his boldness. I just, I, you know, I I did find myself asking if if we're soon going to get into a phase where Raheem Sterling is criticised in the way Trent Alexander Arnold is for not covering behind him. Yes, true. <laughs> um, Perhaps, uh, perhaps that's still a few weeks away. But I, I totally agree with Gregor. I, I think it is, it is, it is a trend that <clears throat> um, uh, innovative coaches are now are not asking that automatic question. Oh, you can't put this this dedicated career winger as a wing back. Um, Usman Dembele has been playing at, at wing back occasionally for Barcelona. Now he would fit the absolute old fashioned definition of of a. Uh, non-dedicated tracker back typically mm. and um you know very much a a forward looking player but but yeah i think i think people are looking differently at systems and and how much ground um other people can cover particularly with a back three lucas muro is another one at spurs who yeah of course pre-season played a lot of games there and i think yeah <laughs> not sure how you feel about it but conti has an eye on 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 converting him as well so but the, I think I references last week when the the line that jumped out from Johnny Northcross interview with Potter was it he was saying he almost described him as a post formations manager mm. and it is about you know covering space and finding space and and exploiting it that seems to be more of his uh, you know more of a priority actually than the way you send out the you know the, what the numbers are in terms of a three at the back or a four at the back you know. He just want he just wants the players to be in space and interacting well together and covering for each other and you know that's why that's clearly why he he picked Cucurella and Aspilicueta too because mm. he sees the strength being them being on the ball and actually being able to join in attacks as well. Yeah, I mean, in terms of talking about boldness and innovations and uh, post formation, that was one of the things that struck me most about this move um, was that I kind of looked at it and was. Graham Potter's someone who is kind of everyone's fa- favourite manager, isn't he? Even if you're not a fan of his the team that he's managing, everyone seems to qu- be quite f- a fan of his. And I kind of looked at it from afar and was like, oh, Graham, have you really gone for the right club here? Like, it, you know, there was just something about it that seemed to jar with me. But maybe the Todd Bowley era will be different. But, Gregor, how, like, how difficult is that for a manager? You know, because some of these things we're talking about, they're easy for Pep Guardiola to implement and tell Raheem Sterling, look, you're going to play out wide left, mate. And things like that how he how difficult is it potentially for a manager like Potter who as we said never managed in the Champions League never even been to a game making this huge step up to talk to some of these players and dropping some of those players as Ian says how, how difficult is that going to be for him in the coming weeks do you think yeah look that was one of the big big question marks about the about um the appointment really um I, I don't know the way he the way he spoke though and he's in his kind of unveiling as well he's just he was honest. He said, I, "It's still about dealing with human beings. That's mm. still the most important part of the job." So some of them will get in, get aboard, and some won't. Um, 
and he's got to be backed enough to to move the ones on who who are not. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a different, very different challenge for him. But I I think that what we're seeing, despite some of the strange utterances from from Todd Bowley in particular, we're seeing a kind of change in culture actually mm. at Chelsea, or certainly that's that's what they want. Whether you know they're if they're seventh in in uh, April uh, or whatever, and you know out out the running for the top four, um, and they can still hold hold firm, and there's like I don't know they're drawing drawing one all with Brighton, uh, you know whether they can sort of because Chelsea have to win now. That's been their their blueprint. Another thing that makes it so different is that how different this is from who's who and what's come come before. It's all been about ruthless winning. Yeah, that's. that's that's what all the man, even the managers who've been in place since Abramovich has been at the helm, have all just been winners. Yeah, and Potter's not been a winner yet. He's been a someone who builds a culture, and and uh, winning is the thing that comes from that. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because Ian, I wanted to ask you what the kind of view from Europe was, if you like, because Chelsea, as Gregor says, synonymous with Saka manager, and then they go they go looking for the the next biggest, brightest, most successful manager from anywhere in Europe, from Italy, from Spain, from France, and this time they pluck a bloke from Brighton. You know, is, has, has, has Potter got a bit of notoriety about him for what he's done across Europe, or are people a bit like, who? I'm afraid there is a little bit of who, hmm. um, just partly because, um, you know, he, as, as he admitted, he hasn't been spotted in many uh, grandstands in the Champions <laughs> League. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played in a major, sorry, in, or in the principal European uh, competition. I think the Ostersund success um, was noted, but but no more than that. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, there isn't so much of a show us your medals culture with managerial appointments uh, anywhere now. Um, you know, the, the head coach of Bayern Munich at the moment is is a young man in his thirties who who never played at senior level. Jose Mourinho never played at senior level, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, um, you know, whereas Graham Potter did, you know, Graham Potter had a distinguished uh, senior career, if not a glamorous one. Um, so I think in that sense, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's, there's scepticism. There's, and, and also there's less, especially in Southern Europe, I think, there's, there's less um, eyebrow raising about the, the high turnover of Chelsea managers because, you know, that's, it's a low turnover compared with certain Italian clubs, um, and it's uh, you know it's it's not that much higher than than Real Madrid over the last twenty years, really. So you know the the, the idea of, of of Chelsea sacking another manager, yeah. So what? One other thing I wanted to ask you about um, Chelsea, Ian, was, and we'll come on to talk about the team he left. But Aubameyang, what what was the kind of take on that move uh, in Spain in terms of you know not been at Barcelona that long before he then? Pops off again. No, no, but but who has been a person no, that long? Um, I mean, yeah, I, it's I, yes. I mean, it was. But it, by the end of this absurd transfer window, um, there was a sort of there was a sort of fatigue with all these surreal comings and goings. And and by that stage, you know, the, the Barcelona narrative was all about oh, how can we gouge another twenty p from down the back of the sofa? <laughs> oh yes, let's let's sell this fellow that we got for free five minutes ago um uh so i mean and also 
remember at Barcelona, Lewandowski was was everything and and sort of is everything still. So so you know any collateral damage to to ensure that a red carpet was rolled out for Lewandowski um, was was sort of acceptable. I mean I I think you can feel a little bit of sympathy for Aubameyang. He he was really good for Barcelona. He he rescued their season to a certain extent. Mm. Uh, but you know that's it's now just going to be a, another six month episode in his in his varied. Uh, career, um, I think he probably deserves a bit of patience at Chelsea as well because uh, it all happened rather suddenly, um, and and you know obviously had a quite disturbing incident at his home just before he left. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't think there'll be a lot of Aubameyang uh, nostalgia. No. Well, one man who will be hoping that Aubameyang definitely uh, produces similar form for Chelsea is Todd Bowley, of course. Chelsea's new owner, and he has been speaking this week, hasn't he? He's got some big and bright ideas. Hey, guys, I know how to fix English football. What do we reckon to that impression, everyone? Pretty good? Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, but he did obviously come up. It's an idea we've heard in various forms before, the all-star game, North v. South. I don't want to dwell on it too long. I must confess that when I first heard about it and thought, yeah, this could be quite good fun. But I didn't know whether that was just me with my editor's hat on thinking this is a great topic of conversation for a load of articles, get the writers to give their teams, readers will love it. And actually then when I thought about it, I found myself on the side of Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp who obviously dismissed it fairly fairly out of hand and said, if he can find a date in the calendar, which is already jam-packed, let me know. So I think I'm probably on the side of it's a bit of a gimmick. Let's move on before we discuss it too seriously. Gregor? Absolutely on your side, yeah. he's. I, I'm just kind of also a bit gobsmacked that he's not got like some PR advice somewhere. <laughs> like, there's someone that he's actually having a chat with about his ideas um, who knows about football. He clearly doesn't have that person because mm. he keeps... I don't know. I, I, the, the thing actually... The thing about this is not just it's not just that it's a bad idea. Um, you know, you can have ideas. It's just that it kind of just shows a bit of a luck, lack of understanding, really. That's one thing, having room in the, in the fixture list for it. Another is why would the players have any interest in doing it? Like, Yeah, well, the idea would be people have suggested, you know, charity, charity and game, you know, yeah, I mean, things like that. But you you're just, not going to get a level of intensity that you would want from watching that game, are you, if, if that's the case? No, absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> you know, people people slag off the, the community shields. Yeah. Um, at least that's kind of, uh, it's got a bit of history and it's got a, a shiny kind of trophy at the end of it. This is, no, it was it was, it was crazy. The, the more interesting thing was, for me anyway, was the, was his talk about the, the kind of multi-club model that, yeah. he, that he seems to be aspiring to, um, which is, I don't know, that's probably got more, more uh, going to have more impact on Chelsea's future um, but I, again I just come back to it I think there, as much as he's saying he wants to change the culture um, he's changed the manager we're all very eager to see how Graham Potter's uh, time at Chelsea unfolds it, there's been also, also quite a lot of sort of worrying missteps too in terms of the way they've dealt in the transfer market uh, his, his involvement in it so kind of hands on and the way he's willing to kind of talk to people about just what seemed to be his little thoughts swirling around in his head. Mm. Um, yeah, I think he needs to. He needs to get first of all. He needs to get some PR advice, but he also needs to get some people um, into 
into positions at the club that know what they're talking about, basically. Right, Ian, we've teed you up. Ready? <laughs> Team top, well, okay. over, over to I'm you. Going to, I'm going to be slightly contrary here. I, 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 I do agree that North versus South is a silly idea and, 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 and wouldn't work. Um, I agree with Jurgen Klopp in that there is no space in the calendar besides which... Uh, these clubs pay an awful lot of money on these players and they don't want them to go and get injured having fun. However, Excellent. I, I, I was think... hoping there was a however <laughs> coming. Yeah, okay. However, I do think, I mean, there are there are ways in which this can work and I think it can can work for the reason that, 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 that Gregor identified. You've got to, the players have got to be engaged. They've got to have a passion. Now, North versus South doesn't work um, because, uh, you know, the, it, it it's it it's not a it's not a concept but if you had some sort of possibly regional game which or or maybe mini tournament i can you know i can hear now that the calendar is <laughs> is um is cracking as i say this then i think you 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 know you might you might create something that 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 people got interested in and i can think of a couple of examples um where it works elsewhere um, I don't know a lot about Australian rules football, but I think they have a sort of state of origin thing, which is a highlight of the season. So, you know, you might play for the Sydney team, but you might be from Darwin or something. So you play for Northern Territories against Victoria or whatever. And, and I think that this this works quite well there. Um, and in Spain, you you have you've had for a long time this tradition at Christmas, which is was winter break time, of people playing for their regions. So. Um, People would go back for the Christmas holidays and play a, a well-attended, enjoyable, watchable fixture, region against region. Um, now, this has become a bit politically complex in certain places now because it's uh, when Catalonia play, um, and you know they, they they generally get good people coming either other regions in Spain or you know serious international sides. It, it's become a bit of a focus for nationalism sovereignty and so on um but it, it it's a tradition that worked and had a hold on the popular imagination and you know gerard piquet will always turn up to play for catalonia sesc fabregas used to try and come even when he was in 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 england and so on um so you know it it, it has a place it has a, a place in 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 the culture and i think the players are engaged that's the key thing and and because it's because it's keying into sort of regional allegiance, they're back with their mates, and and so it's fun. It's so it's something they want to get involved in. So sorry, um, sorry and you you suggesting mm. that uh, because that's that's slightly different than that they are from that those regions. Most of the players. Oh, absolutely, exactly, are. exactly. So there's an engagement. There's a feeling. So now I, I, I I'm going to talk off the top of my head now, and it's probably going to sound silly, but if you had, I don't know. The northeast of England playing against, shall we say, Greater Croydon? <laughs> yeah. You'd have, some, you'd have a really, yeah, really have good game. Yeah, Sheffield um, would have a decent side as well, wouldn't they? Yeah. Good defence. Yeah. Kyle yeah. Walker, yeah, John sorry, Stones. Can, can I just can, like? Oh no, that's Barnsley. I'll get. Can that I wrong. just like yeah. make sure I understand this here? Are we talking about players from the northeast? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it, it's to do with it's to do with yeah. your. But you won't get well, many Premier I, League players. Yeah, you, there. It's you, not you, much you, of an You don't have to. Produce birth certificates, but you know it's 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 where they're from. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, it's not where they live. It's that's... not where they play. It's where they're from. Well, I, the, look. The key thing. I this... mean, no, the easy one to come back to that is that's what internationals are. 
but and I get that's interesting. That's an interesting. You do idea. get a good bit of tribalism in England when you break it up. You yeah. know, you, yeah. anyone anyone yes. from the yeah. north yeah. who meets in London, I mean, you they're, get a bit they're niche mates. When you're talking about East and West Coast, yeah. but Scotland, then you so. you pass Watford and you're enemies again. Honestly, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Well. Look, Gregor, and at least we, you know Todd Bowley's found his PR man now. At least that he can run his ideas by <laughs> him and Ian Hawkey bouncing I did, ideas. I did begin this by saying North versus South is a silly and unworkable idea. But yeah. you presented him with a better <laughs> alternative, Ian, and that's what matters. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. Yeah. You, actually, I also had another idea. If you bear with me on this, um, so you know, if you wanted some sort of exhibition for for English football and what and what people like about it. You could also think about maybe having some sort of pre-season tournament, which which gathered, which celebrated the internationalism of, of of English football. You know, so you could have South America against Europe, maybe a, an an all African team, um, maybe a rest of the world team. This tournament's already taking a month. I can hear. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's punchy, that's for sure. It also sounds a bit like the World Cup, but you know, I'm not. Again, I'm not. I'd love to see what the insurance premiums would be as well for the set that's thrown out. Look, I'm, I'm open to all ideas. You know, all bets are off the table. Hugh's not here. Let's 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 just run riot. See, Todd started a conversation. Yeah, Fair absolutely. Place. Well, we'll see what Todd comes up with next time uh, he uh, enters a enters a press conference or gets a microphone anywhere near him. Um, but up next, we are talking all things Liverpool. So we've already talked about City's comeback at the Etihad where there was another late winner at Anfield. Liverpool uh, picking up a late, late goal. Joel Matip just crossing the line to give them a big and important win in the Champions League. Now, we've already talked about the kind of narrative around City's late goals and the winners that they've had late on. For Liverpool, it feels slightly different, doesn't it? It feels like a team not quite gelling to me and also gaping holes at the back goodness me I never thought I'd see them concede so many chances at Anfield I mean Ajax really could have and probably should have got at least a point from that game Gregor what did you make of it? I thought Liverpool were uh, were improved absolutely yeah. um, but Klopp was right to say you know there's still a lot a lot of work to do and we're not going to get carried away by this because it was they did they were reliant on a on a last minute winner um, but they were a bit more of, of the Liverpool we know in, in terms of the front three looked really much much more menacing. Mm. Diaz in particular, he's, that's the way he kind of runs in in from left to right, um, and can shift the ball so quickly and get a shot off or link play. He's you know I think he's he's really stepped up. Uh, and Thiago, I think we just uh, just under, the performance that underlined how important he is now to Liverpool because because of the way that teams now sit in. And can frustrate Liverpool. I think he's he's got to be you know the way he orchestrates Liverpool's play is is vital. So um, yeah, there's still the odd hairy moment at the back. But I also think um, you know Van Dyke came out afterwards and and spoke quite honestly about how he's not been. He knows he's not been at the the level he he can be. That he's had a dip. He had a little dig at kind of ex pros and commentators who who have sort of been a bit less than understanding of that <laughs> in the knowledge that players do do this um, but I think I think also you know clearly we've got to speak about Alexander-Arnold as well just in, in the because of the fact that the the goal came came down uh, down his side again and it was just slightly out of position um, stepping out a bit too much 
and the space was exploited and it's almost like you know I think well, clearly some teams are targeting targeting them now and, and it can only be a fraction it can only be one moment in a game but that's mm. sometimes enough at this level and uh, you know you, but again it's just it's the same kind of conversation you, 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 you combine that with what he gives Liverpool going forward and it, and some some of his passing it's just sublime so um, it's certainly not uh, you know everything back on track for Liverpool but for me it was a much much improved performance okay, I want to come back to the defence because you obviously raised the point about Trent um, but there's I think there's a bigger issue with the defence but you, you mentioned the front three and I found that really interesting that you were picking them out because the startling thing about that was that they were without their big summer signing now we've talked about one team who've adapted to a big number nine coming in a leading man really well Ian how how have you seen it you gave us our, gave us your view on uh, City how have you seen kind of Liverpool's transition if you like because to me I'm, I feel slightly like maybe the sending off against Palace has knocked Darwin Nunes and Liverpool a little in terms of their progression through through the changes but it's interesting that Gregor picked out the forward line, which was abs- which was missing Nunes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, it was it was um, it was a, a very bad thing for. Remember, quite a young player, mm. um, uh, you know, really, really desperately seeking momentum, knowing that he's come into a club where a very, very popular predecessor um, has left and sort of opened up the vacancy, um, and 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 you know, and obviously blotted his his copybook with. With, with you know with with that sending off so yeah um and you know there's there's such a momentum team as well liverpool so yeah i i, I totally agree that suspension was 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 bad for bad for club bad for manager and very bad for for player um but uh, uh, I, I guess there was a slight slight tendency possibly to forget about uh, diogo jota in all this mm. um you know he's really he's really important and he's he's a he's one of a few reasons in terms of you know players returning to to fitness and and trying to get some form for which Liverpool can be quite optimistic Thiago being another so you know I, I do I do think with fitness permitting it's likely that we're going to see a slightly more recognizable uh, Liverpool quite imminently or at least after the hmm. international break now I mean obviously a lot of people made a big deal of Haaland and Nunes you know, coming in at the same time, both to the top two teams, but it is interesting, isn't it, when you think about, you know, you, Gregor, you mentioned Diaz, Ian, you've mentioned Jota, but obviously they've still got their star man Mohamed Salah, who they gave a massive contract to, and if you compare that to City, say, who sold Raheem Sterling and brought in Haaland, that allows for a more easy switch, doesn't it, in terms of how you might want to play? Because yes, they've still got Phil Foden and Riyad Mahrez, but they're all kind of kind of rotating cogs in the machine aren't they they're very effective and very skillful players but they're not Mohamed Salah in the same way that he is for Liverpool do you think we're going to see a bit of a more a drip feed of Nunes if you like because of the Salah factor in that he's still there and he's still the main man Gregor yeah look I think they would have liked to have uh, seen more of him so far obviously Mm. but I absolutely agree I think Jota was brilliant and I think you kind of forget the impact he made and the way he sort of forced Firmino out of the team really um, well offering something similar in the way that he can sit he can sort of drop a little bit and the and the both the left and right can sort mm. of drive into the space and behind and you got to see that the Liverpool's opening goal came from that it was, it was striking in fact how, how often Alisson went really direct mm. from uh, when he had the ball at his feet and one long ball uh, 
and that kind of crossover between I think it was Jota and Diaz uh, led to Salah's goal. So um, I I understand what you're saying about you know that, that comparison with City, but it's slightly different with Liverpool and the, the front three are almost like a an entity in them of, the, of, the, of their, mm. their own. You know, it's the way that they have to both press for the front, which is which helps them defensively and be so kind of dynamic and you know link well as well and as I say Jota has been very important in that I think he, I think he showed that the other night yeah. but my point more is that as you say they are an entity but it's whether that Nunes upsets that entity if you like whereas you know Salah Jota Diaz is more of your kind of archetypal Klopp front three. I mean, I, Ian, what do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But but also um, and uh, and in a way more mature and worldly uh, footballers. Uh, mm. But Darwin was still playing in the Spanish second division what three years ago. Mm. Um, so um, you know he's. I, I, I think I think we should probably remember that in some senses he is still a, a developing player. And and yes, at the moment doesn't have uh some of the vision and certainly some of the the rhythms that 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 the other three do but you know he has he has obvious other assets as well um i do i think yeah, i think any any manager would like to be in a situation where they think they could rest mohammed salah mm. because the guy has played an awful lot of football this year some of it in quite difficult trying circumstances but um, you know, it's 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 hard to to leave him out and feel feel confident that you're going to overcome difficulties without your your talisman. Um, also, the, the this the calendar puts uh, Salah in a different position, doesn't it? Because yeah. he's not he's not going to the World Cup, so you 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 can sort of you can think that he's not going to be one of the ones that come back tired or injured. Um, at the end of December. Yeah, well, one another Liverpool talisman who may or may not be going to the World Cup, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Greg, you've already mentioned him. Now, we've avoided the big England formation debate, but we might have to might have to do a little bit on Trent. And I, but I, I did think about this, and I was watching the game, and is there any element where we have to look at Jurgen Klopp for this, as much as we look at Trent Alexander-Arnold? Because, as you say, Gregor, he is so important to how they play going forward, and the manager surely has to take a little bit of responsibility if he's then exposed at the back because there was the chance at one all for Ajax where Matip and Van Dijk were basically a back two on their own. And it wasn't like the ball was like, they weren't camped outside Ajax's penalty area. The ball, I think, was in Liverpool's half even. And Alexander-Arnold and Simicast were both already on their way, already in line with, you know, Thiago and the midfield. And they lost the ball, turnover, and that's where the chance came and Ajax probably should have scored. So this is, you know, we have to remember, this is the way Liverpool play as well. This is why they get targeted because it's not just about let's target Trent Alexander-Arnold, is it? It's about let's target Liverpool's fullbacks. Or the space that they've The space, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that and that's not <clears throat> Trent Alexander-Arnold going, oh, I'm no. just going to wander forward. It's his manager going, get forward because you're you're a key outlet for us and you're a key assist provider. That is true in a, in a lot of instances, but... It, it was slightly not true in the in the instance of the goal. <laughs> I think they were slightly different. You know, they were set really. They were. You could have been as part. You could have been tucked in a little bit and a little bit deeper as as part of a back four, and he he stepped out and left left the space. Um, but you're right. Look, they, they, that's why we're saying that. You, as I was saying last week that that you, Liverpool's defenders need to be 
elite athletes and they need to be able to cope with being almost two at the back and as, and as much as we said uh, there's a trend of wing trend for, for kind of wing backs being more attacking players there's also a trend of full backs being sort of using you know, being used in kind of rotations with midfielders and, and wingers and almost joining in the forward line sometimes I said this last week about um, Dallow at Manchester United has done it quite a lot Zinchenko's done it at Arsenal mm. Uh, and Trent Alexander-Arnold's doing exactly the same. It's another trend. It's about creating overloads uh, against teams that you're trying to break down who sit sit back and make it hard for you. So a lot of the time you can't blame Trent and, they, mm-hmm. and what he does, what he offers Liverpool going forward um, usually outweighs what, you know, any deficiencies at the back. But they've been exposed a couple, of, a couple of times this season and they've not always been just because he's playing higher up the pitch because he's because of his attacking output, sometimes it's been a lapse, mm. basically a defensive lapse, and that's the that's the thing that he needs to he needs to rectify really, particularly if he wants to play for England. Mm. It does seem to me as well, Ian, that more than just the Trent and the fullback space, it does feel like Liverpool are a little bit more open as a team this season. I don't know whether that's the changes, whether that's the injuries, those kind of moments where, and also Virgil Van Dijk. Is it just me? Does does he seem a little bit less? colossal than he has been in the past he seems a little bit I'm not saying he's a, suddenly become a poor player but he doesn't seem to have that superhero don't worry guys I've got this covered moments that he has had so so much in the past am I being harsh Ian? No 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 I think that's true I think that's true I mean and, and you know we tend to uh, we tend to notice his his errors and his you know positional flaws because because he sets such high standards um, and, and uh, you know and I know this has been said endlessly Liverpool played an awful lot of games in the last season, and there is, you know, there is bound to be some uh, fatigue. And if it's not physical, it's 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 psychological. It's to do with getting yourself up there twice a week um, mentally. And uh, you know, I, I I think we'd be astonished if if they didn't show you know some symptoms of of having played every single game that 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 was on the timetable last season Mm. well they I wouldn't say got away with it I think they probably deserved to win but it was a late goal that got them the three points now one team that didn't get a late goal and were on the end of a defeat a slightly surprising defeat perhaps were Tottenham in Lisbon losing 2-0 to Sporting with both goals coming in the 90th minute now I was speaking to some of the Tottenham fans who I work with and there's a lot of them in the office (laughs) And it was striking. It's something I said before on the podcast this season, which was when the opening game, when they went behind uh, to Southampton and then came back and won, um, a colleague of mine who was in the ground said, I've never known anything like it. We weren't worried, even at 1-0. And even after this game, I spoke to the same colleague and he said, it's okay, it's fine. Probably needed a bit of a reality check. Gregor, is he right? Is this is this the Conte effect in full force? They're happy, they're settled, they've got good players. They don't mind losing the odd game. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you think they should be a bit worried by this? I don't. No, I don't. I, look, there's no doubt that Conte, um, not just in the way he plays, but also the kind of mentality that he tries to um, imbue in his team. Is, we're going to see less of this, I think, mm. and, and we have seen less of it so far under Conte. It was a bit of a kind of a late collapse. Yeah. But before then, Spurs weren't weren't bad they were probably deserving of a point um, and I don't I, personally I wouldn't get too worried about it look it's a different 
calibre of opposition as well in the Champions League and there's also Conte's record in the Champions League and whether it's going to be quite the same uh, as it has been in, in domestic uh, football so but I, no I, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be wouldn't be worried by this at all if I was Spurs I just think it was a it was a bit of a late collapse and um, Spurs have been Spurs have been remarkably solid uh, mm. particularly in the way that as we've said they've got the the kind of three three at the back and two in front and it's very hard for, for teams to play through that and again it was a kind of lapse towards the end that, that, that lost on the point Ian what do you reckon worrying signs for Tottenham or just a welcome reality check after a good start to the season um, I, I think I think possibly a little shout out for Sporting who were good yes yeah. absolutely and, yeah um, and 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 lively and and but yeah I mean uh, Conte agrees with Gregor obviously it's <laughs> um, that they deserved a point uh, mm, do you think so Lloris made some some pretty important saves um so I guess um, that's part. Uh, yeah, and, of, I guess that's part of my questioning in terms of whether they should be worried because going into this game, perhaps, and maybe this comes from a naivety of uh, the English media not understanding how good Sporting are, but it it was telling that, as you say, Sporting were more than a match for them, and probably at the end pinching it, particularly maybe the home factor, it wasn't that surprising. So I guess that's what I'm what I'm driving at. This Tottenham team, you know, heralded this season for all the improvements they've made, looked you know second best for long periods in this game Ian so I guess I'm that I'm angling for that yeah. whether that should be a worry yeah sure yes yeah um well I, I suppose it, I mean it, it, it it's hard for all of us I think to to place Conti's Tottenham isn't it what what are their ambitions um I don't think they're going to win the Champions League um uh but I think but I think they'll, they'll go through from a, a fairly fairly straightforward uh group um, but then again, that's um, it's it, it's. I think the the Premier League is probably the priority if they have to choose one. So um, I, th- I think you know I think they'll get better. There's 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 a there's quite a few new things to integrate. Um, and yeah, the, the mostly apart from the the final minutes in Lisbon, they they look they look reasonably resilient and 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 resourceful. How much we in, we enjoy watching them by March? Mm-hmm. That might be another question. I'll make sure to remember to come back and ask you that in March, whether you've been enjoying them or not, Ian. But very quickly on Tottenham, because I think we've got a piece uh, on the website about this today, is that the right wing-back situation for them does seem to be quite a telling problem, I would say. You know, Emerson Royale... They signed Jed Spence, who Conte immediately then came out and said he's not my signing, mm. uh, despite being an incredibly uh, exciting prospect from the championship. It was brilliant for Forrest last season, of course. Gregor, how do you look at that position on the pitch? Do you think he's going to be kind of you know, Mourinho-esque, forced into playing Spence for a few games and then hoiking him at half-time and saying, I've, I need another signing in January? I think he'll definitely be saying, I need another January, <laughs> <laughs> January signing. That's what he does. Um no, he's the weak. I think Royal's the weak link. I think we said that in pre-season. Really, he's not. He's not good enough defensively, and his output is not consistent enough going forward. Um, look, I saw a good bit of Jed Spence um, in the Championship last year. He's a good player. I think he, he could certainly uh, get an opportunity. But Conte sees him every day in training. Um, Matt and then Matt Doherty's other one. Yeah. yeah, he's been injured. He's not had a a great time at Spurs. Really, I think over the piece he, he improved last season um, 
It certainly wasn't great under Mourinho. Um, but I think a lot of fans would probably quite like to see him given a chance, and I'm sure he, I'm sure he will get one. But I think in the medium term, that's that's probably the, another area that they're going to be looking to strengthen because, as we said, that's a very very important uh, position in in Conte's system. And again, we could see Lucas Moura getting tried out there as well. Yeah, we shall see whether Jed Spence will get a chance for Tottenham in the coming weeks. We've still got a little bit of time left on the game podcast and we've got to ask Ian all about European football and me and Greg are going to sneak in a little mention of the Football League. That's all still to come. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, Ian, I've already mentioned it's your first show of the season, and so I thought we'd do a little bit of a quick fire. Gregor and I are going to ask you a few questions about European teams and what you've noticed this season. And I'm going to go first, partly because I've thrown this curveball at Gregor and he's looking at me across the studio <laughs> as if to say, you didn't tell me about this plan, what's going on? But he can think on his feet. Um, you didn't tell me either. <laughs> I, like, I like to keep you all guessing, you know, this is, this is how it works when Woos and Cross not here. You know, plan goes out the window, freestyle it. Now, the first one, nice easy one for you, Ian, Barcelona. And we've, we've followed them all season. You've written lots of pe- excellent pieces for us uh, in the Times. The thing that was most striking to me in their defeat against Bayern Munich was that I kind of looked at their team at the start of the match and I think, you know, so much has been made about all the money they spent, all the signings. I kind of looked at that team and thought, I mean, it's, it's still not that good, really. I mean, I, I wasn't particularly impressed by it. I mean... Is it still still a massive work in progress? Is Xavi under pressure yet? What what's the mood in Barcelona at the moment? Well, I think I think as a result um, of that defeat, um, uh, they are taking most people are taking the positives because Xavi's got credit in the bank and <laughs> the club have got a lot of debt for the long term future. Um, uh, but it, it it was better than before. So um, you know, the, Bayern Bayern have been a barometer of, of Barca's decline in in quite a quite a stark way. Uh, they beat them eight two 
in 2020 in the Champions League in the quarterfinal, last 16. Um, and then they beat them twice in the group stage last year, which which sent Barca into the Europa League, you know, which is something that hasn't happened for the best part of 20 years. So having having gone to Munich and played pretty well in the first 45 minutes and probably should have had the lead in the first 45 minutes, that was progress. Mm. Um, but as you say, also with a... Uh, with an 11, which is has to be a work in progress because so many of them uh, are new. Marcus Alonso was making his first start. Uh, Jules Koundé, who also came in the summer, was playing at right back, which isn't really his preferred position. Andreas Christensen, another new player, was was uh, part of a basically all new or almost all new back four. Um, and 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 um, uh, uh, Pedri was brilliant. Pedri was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, the, the one thing I would say, and, and possibly hasn't been um, shouted out, uh, certainly in, in in the Catalonia press, is that um, having got to half-time, nil-nil, Lewandowski's missed a, a good chance. Um, Barca have, have looked really quite good. Um, they then concede two goals almost immediately after half-time. Now, I think that makes uh, Nagelsmann look much better than Xavi. Mm. You know, it's just a... It's a narrative thing, but uh, Bayern solved something and executed it pretty well, um, and ended up and ended up being being on top in in the second half and probably deserving winners. But but no 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 sense of crisis yet. Um, uh, however, it's uh, it's it's in theory a very complicated group because mm. um, Inter are in it as well. Um, I I don't think Inter are particularly powerful, but it makes the it makes the next two games, Barca into into Barca, potentially, um, you know, there's 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 jeopardy there. Um, uh, and and meanwhile, uh, the the new signings mainly roll on successfully uh, domestically. Lewandowski has been sensational. He had a he had a poor night in terms of finishing um, in Munich, but otherwise he's uh, he's been excellent. And he's he's a focal point. He seems to have a good relationship with Pedri on the pitch. Uh, which is important for their creativity. Um, Usman Dembele has mostly looked like he's enjoying having Lewandowski as a target. So, in a sense, some of the some of the important things that need to work are are working. What about Bayern? Uh, Ian, Owen Slot went to went to Munich, and he was obviously there was, there was a big uh, narrative around Lewandowski playing against playing against his former team. But the man who's been signed signed, if not to replace him, certainly to scores some of the goals that they'll miss Sadio Mane mm. um, I think he was asked some fairly pointed questions afterwards about you know how smoothly he's, he's slipped into the team how's, how's that transition worked? Yeah yes I mean it's, uh, he started off well um, but then as Bayern have been dropping points um, uh, Mane has, has, has looked like um, not the perfect fit as yet put it that way um, and and he didn't have a, a a great night on Wednesday. So yeah, there there is there is quite a there is quite a barrage of questions about about uh, whether Mane is going to work and whether he can possibly fill Lewandowski's big boots. Um, there was um, Thomas Muller was talking a bit before the game um, about about this transition, um, and he said, well. We've got a, a, a little like we we were talking about earlier. Actually, we, we've now got um, a central striker who's not you know 
less of a obvious target man so it means we're going might be we might be less predictable than we used to be um but i think if that argument is going to work uh, mane probably needs to start scoring more goals um, i mean it, you know they 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 are a very well equipped attacking team uh leroy sane has been has been good in the last couple of weeks um and you know they've still got they've still got a huge uh, supply of wingers and and the other player who's been who's been playing very well in 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 a fairly attacking role is uh, Jamal Musiala so um the one that I, got I, I, away <laughs> yes, yeah well thank the one that got away thank god yeah. we haven't got to work out how to get him in the england team as well it's bad <laughs> yeah, enough that yeah. Jude Bellingham Ian, finally the holders real madrid 2-0 win against rb leipzig six points from two games top of the table Carlo Ancelotti is going to do it again, isn't he? Well, I mean, he's he's got every reason to feel uh, satisfied. Although, you know, rather like against Celtic, they were they were you know they didn't look very comfortable um, on uh, uh, this week. But you know, they pulled it. They pulled it around um, late on, which is it is so much their trademark now that uh, it, you know barely needs. Reporting anywhere, Courtois made important saves as ever. The, the one, the uh, the issues around Madrid um, are, yeah. There's a post Casemiro thing. There's there's how long can the midfield last? And in that in that sense, um, Ancelotti should feel quite pleased because Fede Valverde, who was you know the sort of the fourth midfielder next to the famous trio has been has been absolutely fantastic this season um and the new signing Aurelien Chormeni has looked good and solid and confident when he's played so um you know so the idea that the the, the great midfield trio was going to be broken up and everything would collapse from there um is being challenged um there's there's they've been missing Karim Benzema um who May or may not be back for the Madrid derby this weekend, um, and you know he really is their only true centre forward. So the goals are going to have to come from somewhere else um, for as long as he's out. Um, and so far, Valverde stepped in, Vinicius has, has stepped in, so they're managing that. But tougher tests ahead for sure. Yeah, well, we shall see. But they've met, definitely made a good start, and slightly ominous that, as you say, they can lose those players such as Casemiro, and still look fairly, fairly potent in the, the Champions League. Ian, we're going to let you go mainly because me and Gregor have got a little two-minute chat about the football league that's coming up on the game. But just before Gregor and I get into the nitty-gritty of the Football League, I'm here to tell you about a very special bonus episode of The Game podcast. Uh, On Friday, I sat down with Ed Smith, former England cricketer and chief selector for England cricket between 2018 and 2021. Uh, Ed joined us to talk about football, tactical innovations and his new book, Making Decisions, Putting the Human Back in the Machine. He also had a little mention for his beloved Arsenal. Now, if you're listening to this show at the weekend, that episode with Ed is already out, so go and track it down. If you're listening to today's show on Thursday, stay tuned, and it'll be out tomorrow on Friday. But here's a little clip of what you can expect. I've watched a lot of Arteta as a player, yeah. and I was very interested in him. I thought he was an outstanding decision maker. My mm. book's called Making Decisions. He was a very good decision maker. And actually, um, you were very conscious in watching Mikel Arteta play of his intelligence. I would say he was one of the most intelligent players I've watched a lot of. And I also sensed at times he was a second manager. Mm. And I sometimes remember, you know, conversation with the man, not just as a club captain, but it went a bit further than that. He was an extra 
shaping mind on the field. So you knew that was there. And then, of course, you went to Man City as assistant manager and formed that alliance with Pep Guardiola and then has come to Arsenal and I think is doing a very good job. I'll also say one thing about Arsenal, which is easy to miss. As I'm 45 now and I've had different positions in sport, inside and outside the high performance part, I've come over time to see the game more through the lens of, if you like, the top and how that filters down. And when I say the top, what do I mean? I suppose I mean the decision makers at CEO and board level and how that mm. then supports and nurtures um, the decision makers closer to the pitch. I think sustained success is very difficult without there being clear strategy right at the top. And I think Vinay Vinkatesham has done a very good job at Arsenal, appointing and then supporting and sticking with Mikel Arteta and also just getting the club lined up right in a way that sustainable success becomes more likely. There's never a guarantee, but equally, it hasn't been a surprise. I think most people who follow the club could sense that it was moving in a good direction and you know, hopefully it will continue like it has done at the start of this season with some with some dazzling play on the field. Mm. But I think it's very hard to have sustained success without that clarity and that direction from the top. So now this was going to be the cute little ending, me and Gregor, no woos and croft, no worries, just a little nice little chat about the football league. But no sooner had Ian Hawkey hung up and left us behind as Robertson stands up, kilt, Scotland, <laughs> Scotland tattoo, says, what about Rangers and Celtic? And he's quite right, he's quite right. Well, he had hoped to get Michael Grant on to talk with to us, but he's sadly stuck travelling uh, back from Celtic's match. So we'll have to make do with you, Gregor, instead, to yeah. tell us about Rangers and Celtic. Now, it's two differing nights for both of them. I think we should start with Rangers. Mm. It comes down to the sending off, doesn't it, as James yeah. Sands, really, that game. I, I, I do think it did feel a little bit like they were clinging on for large parts, but the sending off we were talking about beforehand, it, it, it was a foul, wasn't it? Yeah, he was unlucky. I think it's a bit harsh to say they were clinging on. Rangers were Rangers were good. This is a very different, you know, look at the scoreline, 3-0, and after the, the humbling defeat against Ajax, it's not been a great start. But this mm. is a very different performance by Rangers. Uh, it was a good performance up until the... The uh, the sending off, and then it was a mad kind of mad few minutes in which, um, you know, penalty kick was was saved, then scored on the rebound, then a, ret- a retake was ordered, then Alan McGregor, forty year old Alan McGregor, saved the the second one, uh, and then unfortunately they got another penalty, mm. um, and James Sands, I think he was unfortunate in that he, you know, he did really well to to track back, and he went to win the ball, and the ball was kind of slightly behind uh, Simeone and his touch kind of took it forward and although the ball clipped Sands' calf it was it was a foul and it was kind of I think he was quite shocked actually that it wasn't going to be going to be uh, overturned but it was it was a penalty and then from that point it was it was really hard for for Rangers to to get anything from the game really but I, look I think they should be they should be buoyed by that one particularly we know that that Ibrox is going to be the place where they have to get have to get points, and I think until this ending off, they were it was a really good performance. So Celtic, on the other hand, um, they will feel really really disappointed after the sheer volume of when chances. You, when you say they, do you mean you? What do you mean they? <laughs> I'm, always, I'm, a, I'm a neutral. I'm a neutral when I'm broadcasting. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, God, the chances, the chances that yeah. they just kept coming. They kept coming towards the end, and and um, I think that's sixteen efforts. Mm. Um, and look, Michael Grant really kind of did make a, a very valid point in his in his match report when he said that in the twenty one years since Celtic first reached the Champions League group stage, they've only avoided defeat six times in thirty one games. Mm. So like, this isn't. It's, although you can have come away from watching this game thinking, God, they really could have had the three points there. It ain't bad going, you know, going away and getting any points actually for Celtic. Um, but Shatter looked out on their feet. Yeah. They looked dead on their feet, and you know there were some great chances. Uh, Jack Marcus on his left foot whipped mm. one just past the post. Maeda on a stretch. It was almost like a kind of Alagaza '96. Just couldn't get enough on the ball from the cup from the kind of ball across the box. And Jota went on an amazing run, brilliant feet. And then the turf gave way under his feet just as he went to pull the trigger. And you think, no, this is not going to be Celtic's night. So I kind of, I think Michael Grant said it was, you know, they travelled a thousand miles to take a baby step, but it was a baby step forward nonetheless. How do you feel about Postacoglu and rumours linking with him? He's, he's, he's poo pooed that. It's not happening, I don't think. <laughs> I think he's. He sees he's playing in the Champions League. That he's... impartiality went quite quickly, <laughs> did, didn't yeah. it, listeners? Eh? <laughs> I certainly hope he's proved it. He made some good, some kind of promising noises anyway. No, look, he's. I think it'd be a, it's bad timing. It's bad timing. He, he, I'm not someone who's gonna who's gonna sit here and go, you know, it's, it's Brighton or you know, compare them to Celtic because the world we live in now is that any move to the Premier League is going to be enticing. But I think Postecoglou, from where he came, what he did last season and what still lies ahead in terms of the Champions League programme and what Celtic have done in the first two games their, their first 3-0 game against Real Madrid didn't feel like a 3-0 game either after the you know the first certainly the first half anyway um, and they were just punished by kind of ruthless uh, kings of Europe in the second half but Celtic have been been good they've been good in, in both games so far and there's no reason to you know, we see how bad um, well how, how poorly uh, Leipzig's start has been no reason not to not to feel that we can do something in this group actually mm. we there you go I know, sorry, sorry, <laughs> he cracked eventually I knew <laughs> well now, you, now you're full fan one one quick one I wanted to ask you about Celtic as well as Postacoglu something we've talked about is their recruitment you've mentioned Jota for Liverpool there's another Jota who seems very very impressive in that Celtic's new signing this summer isn't it yes yes he was on loan last season um, was made permanent and yeah, he's he's a real talent. As I say, that that kind of amazing run he made into the box, it's it's he's got great balance and kind of an ability to send a player the wrong way while kind of doing very little with the ball. If you know what I mean, he he kind of steps over it or runs beyond it and then goes the other way. And yeah, real talent. The, the recruitment has been has been great. And Hatati is someone who's who's a joy to watch. Um, O'Reilly as well, who came from MK Dons. I mean, there's some been some kind of left field ones and, and Greg Taylor was a Kilmarnock player and didn't have much you know he, he took a while to make an impact but he's he's looked like a different player at left back and um, it was his cutback actually to Giacomacchus for the uh, for probably the best chance uh, towards, the, towards the end of the second half so yeah looks like a well-rounded team of slightly slight vulnerability on on the counter and mm. that's where uh, Shatter scored the goal I've Slightly wondering about Joe Hart and that he kind of went to ground slightly too easily, but mm. uh, certainly all to play for still. Absolutely. Now, can we talk about the football league? Let's Quick, do it. Let's do Look it. Come on, 
We've got producer John, Nottingham Forest fan, forgetting about those years in the Championship. Now he's a big-time <laughs> player in the Premier League, waving at me going, too long, too long. Well, listen, Woozy's not here. I'm in the hot seat. We're talking about the bloody Football League. And I'm telling you why. The reason why is because we've talked about the Champions League. We've talked about all these superstars. You will not see a better goal this week than the one Sunderland scored at Reading. Their third. If you've not seen it, get on Twitter, get on YouTube, track it down. It is absolutely sublime. From the goalkeeper all the way up the pitch, basically one touch. I think there's two back heels in there. There's a brilliant ball right across the Reading defence. And Jack Clark, who's a player that you know, shone at Leeds early on in his career, moved to Tottenham, things stalled for him. Takes a lovely touch when a lot of players would have tried to hit it first time. Takes a lovely touch inside a sliding defender, which presumably is every defender's nightmare when they end <laughs> up on their backside, and smashes it home. 3 0 win for them into the playoffs under Tony Mowbray. They lost Alex Neal, lots of their supporters, some of whom I know. My good pal Kenny was very worried. He supported them for a long time. He's thinking, here we go again. I told him, no, don't worry. Tony Mowbray's your man. Do you not think, Greg? Yeah, something kind of, it's certainly been a very positive start, and, and you feel like. There's certainly life left in, in Mowbray and mm. it was a bit of a, I don't know, the way that they, he parted company with Blackburn sort of, it seemed to leave a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth because he did so much to turn that football club around and the Venkis kind of, you know, toxic atmosphere at that club and he, he changed it all and he spoke about them in, in positive terms and he certainly formed a, a very uh, attractive team on the pitch Uh and he showed he was quite kind of flexible too. Last season, he went much more direct with, with Blackburn. He didn't. He saw that it wasn't quite going to get them to where they wanted to be. And I think, although they just missed out on the playoffs, he he did good work there. And I, I don't know. You know, he's from the northeast. He's had a time at Middlesbrough. I know that's mm. it's not many miles away. And he's uh, something about it feels like quite a good. It could be quite a good fit. And as you say, this was it was a worldie of a goal. I mean, it's kind of. That's what that's the kind of goal you show any fans who who shout, you know, get rid. <laughs> this is why they do it. This Knock is why they take, this is why they take the risk. Yeah. Because this that can be the outcome. And it you know, like Sunderland won't won't that won't be the outcome for Sunderland all the time. It's not the outcome for Manchester City all the time. But when it comes off, it's a joy to watch and yeah, great moment. Absolutely. And um, it wouldn't be a show with me hosting without a mention for Lincoln City. I'm not gonna mention them this season because they're absolutely useless. But one of our former managers, Danny Cowley, looks to have finally, finally got it going at Portsmouth. Six League One wins so far, 20 points. They're just behind uh, top place Ipswich, got another big win in the week. Looks like they finally got things going at Portsmouth, doesn't it? Yeah, but look at that top five. Ipswich, Portsmouth, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday and Bolton Wanderers. That's a big five yeah. in League One in the third tier of English football. Yeah. And they've all started really, really well. You know, As you say, McKenna at Ipswich is... From all I hear, he's playing some sublime football. That's uh, kind of might not necessarily always get you out of League One, but it, um, it certainly started very well. Um, and I always think Bolton. I think Bolton are on an upward tra- trajectory with mm. uh, with Ian Everett and the way they play as well. So yeah, League One, as always, is kind of the tightest, maddest league, yeah. in, probably in the country. Everyone thinks it's the Championship, but if you look down at League One, uh, there's nothing between teams for, very often. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a fascinating league this season. It's the place to be. That's what I try and tell everyone. And before John pulls the plug on our microphones, League Two, go on, Gregor. You've got one team you're about to tell us about. Leighton Orient. Yeah, I'm going to shamelessly plug a, a piece of, I've been writing about Leighton Orient, um, who have started brilliantly. They've won seven out of their first eight games. 
uh, under Richie Wellens, the the manager, top of League Two. But actually, the piece I'm doing is a bit more of a kind of historical piece, if it's the right way to say it. It's about the kind of changing demographics. I, I, Don't I li- oversell it. Though. I live in... <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> Listen, let, hear me out. Hear me out. It's, it's Basically, a, I moved. I moved very close to Brisbane Road, and I've I've noticed that the place is changing. There's a massive development on their literally on their doorstep, of which is going to be like six thousand new homes. And I just, it just got me thinking. It's like a fast changing part of hmm. East London. You know, this is a massive opportunity for them. They're on, they've got you know American investment, very kind of forward thinking owners who want to be playing the championship. And Lane are a fascinating club, and they're hemmed in by. West Ham, Spurs, Arsenal, they've never really had a part of, you know, they, they were formed in Clapton actually in Hackney. They've never really had a part of London or an area where they've got 4% of their season card holders are from Leighton, eleven Leighton. The rest are strewn all over the place and often in Essex. Madness. There's been talk about them moving to Essex over the years. Really? Yeah. So now they've got this huge kind of change around them in their local environment and a massive development on the doorstep, big opportunity they're going to be starting doing things like giving every household, new household, a welcome pack with like a scarf, uh, a hat for the winter, free tickets. Yeah. And they're going to try and attract, because they've never been able to get kind of more than 5,000 yeah. fans through the gate. So I think Leighton Orient in the years, in the kind of this season because of Richie Wellens, but also in the years ahead, could be a team to watch. Here's us thinking you're a Celtic fan. Actually, you're Leighton Orient I fan. might be a Leighton Orient You heard fan, it here yeah. first. Get on down to Leighton <laughs> as soon as you can. And if you do read Gregor's piece and you don't find it as exciting, you can just go and watch that Sunderland goal. I'm telling you, if you do one thing before the next episode of <laughs> the game... It will be exciting. <laughs> it won't I be as exciting as that Sunderland goal, I'm telling you. If you do one thing, listeners, before the next episode of the game podcast, which is out next Tuesday, go and watch that Sunderland goal. Thanks for joining us on the game podcast. If you like the show, rate us, subscribe. And don't forget, I think this is the bit where Hugh says sign up at thetimes.co.uk and all that kind of jazz. You know the drill by now. We'll see you next Tuesday. Tuesday. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.